Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust, a podcast for digital transformation leaders where we discuss the latest cyber attack issues, enterprise security strategies, and current security events so that you can successfully accelerate network and security transformation. And now here's what's on our mind this week. All right, welcome back everybody to uh, episode with Pam and Lisa and the Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. We're so glad you joined us today. Okay, we have a phenomenal topic, China. I'm telling you, how about at least, there isn't a day that goes by that a customer, a prospect, a peer, an executive, somebody out there asks about China. How do you guys deal with China? What's so different about Zscaler in China? So in order to answer those questions, there isn't anyone better or greater to talk to that subject than Misha Cooperman. And we have Misha, we are so blessed to have Misha with us here to go ahead and talk about China with that. Misha, thank you so much for joining us and and welcome to the show here. Nice to be here. Misha, could you do us a favor? Go ahead and, you know, because you have such an amazing role here at Zscaler. Could you go ahead and just give us an overview of your role and just give a little bit to the viewers of what does your daily life look like in your role? Well, you don't want to make this a nightmare on Elm Street, but uh, in, in, in reality, you know, I have an incredibly interesting role at Zscaler. I'm sort of at the intersection of customers, vendors, data centers, networks, et cetera. I'm SVP of cloud operations. Uh, I, I run basically cloud operations, which includes everything from the things that people really understand, like shipping boxes and dealing with customer complaints. But it's, it's a lot of other things like contract negotiation keeping the data centers up and running, making sure we're connected to the appropriate places and getting the service deployed and uh, you know, operating in a way that our customers expect us to be. I also have a second title, you know, it's chief apology officer, because usually I'm the first person that the customer wants to speak to before coming onto the platform. And usually the first person that they also want to speak to if there, when there has been an incident, regardless of who's been at fault or if it's China or anything else. It sounds like there's a lot to unpack there. Maybe you could come back with us in the future and tell us some of your horror stories and some of your success stories. Absolutely. would love to do that. Awesome. That's just so interesting to me. But, you know, coming back to this whole topic about China, I think, I don't know if there's a misperception or not. And so if you could clarify for all of our listeners, I think there's some that believe there is literally a choke point in China where every carrier comes together and there is this massive I don't know, maybe it's a refrigerator box or something that is the great firewall of China. Is that true or or is that just such a misperception that some have? It certainly feels that way, but it's not that simple. We can spend multiple, probably weeks talking about this and still not even scratch the surface. But at the end of the day, what there is, is there's absolutely a, a policy for the purpose of filtering content, you know, in order to comply with Chinese laws and regulation that is implemented globally on the outbound portions of the Chinese network. There isn't one box. Uh, it's implemented and, and managed by multiple carriers, uh, by multiple, those carriers have multiple entities. So while there is one body of regulation and one sort of mechanism described for doing so, it is done by multiple people and, and, and multiple across multiple boxes at various points of the network. One other thing to also consider here, besides the technical and sort of the compliance that we just talked about, there's also kind of a political or commercial war going on, which is effectively all the Chinese telecoms don't want to allow 
the international operators into China and vice versa. The international operators don't want to buy bandwidth or allow Chinese operators into other parts of the world. So that also creates, you know, there's choke points that are related to policy enforcement and there's choke points related to actually physical network capacity that exists depending on where you're coming from and where you're going. So it's essentially a layer eight firewall as well, unfortunately. <laughs> 88, which is a very lucky number in China, by the way. Fair. As a result of this patchwork of controls, what are some of the issues that you see as we operate in China that you don't see in the rest of the world? Yeah, it kind of runs the gamut from applications not being available at certain times to just general slowness. The regulations are very interesting in the sense that a lot of the things that are forbidden, they're, they're totally blocked and it's clear. And China has an interesting approach to how they regulate content. Every content provider that lives inside of China has to get an ICP license. Um, and by the way, Zscaler is not a content provider. We don't generate content. We don't generate the requests. We're kind of like an in-between point. So we're, we don't need to have an ICP license to operate in the country. But anybody mm -hmm. who has content, anybody who actually stands up a website does have to have a license if they're on, you know, in China, mainland China proper. Lots of content, as we know, exists outside of China. And so obviously China can't enforce the ICP requirements there. And so, uh, you know, content providers are certainly available. There's content available from outside of China that doesn't have this ICP license available unless the content has been explicitly banned or blocked by the MIIT, which is the regulating authority for the Chinese government. Got it. So it's almost a different definition of zero trust where China doesn't trust people to go to the open internet or to leverage services that they can't see into or control. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of this has to do with also like some content, like China does want to continue to operate and be integrated with the global economy. And so you can get things like Office 365. But one thing that I mentioned is that earlier is that it varies by time of day, which is what makes it very frustrating, right? And the Chinese telecoms sometimes play this game of you open a ticket during Chinese business hours and say, hey, I can't get to Office 365. You know, here's the path. Looks very congested. And they kind of ping you back during the business night and say, man, we don't see a problem. Loading it works fine now. We're closing the ticket. And then basically the day starts again and you, you come back with a problem. So one of the things that people, you know, that don't live and breathe and operate inside of China locally have a challenge consuming is that these problems aren't going to go away. There is no incentive for them to go away. And the telecoms have come up with multiple mechanisms to actually charge you for premium access. So effectively what they say is if you need the access to international connectivity, great, buy this other product that's 100 times more expensive than the domestic product, build an MPLS network, do whatever you like, because then you'll be spending dollars with the Chinese telecoms uh, in order to get you a fast lane. Or what is happening more often now is the Chinese environment is forcing businesses to bifurcate and essentially say, you know what, you can't use, you should use this Chinese version of the app rather than the US version of the app, because now all the intellectual property, all the sort of data stays inside of the region. Pam, I know you dealt with this when you were running global networking. Which was more challenging for you, the technical aspects or the legal and regulatory aspects? Well, I think the legal and, and regulatory, it was more of a conservative approach. So we would say no before risking 
it, but it was a whack-a-mole and kind of what you talked about Misha, it, it was really sometimes it was a just a whack-a-mole situation of what was working what wasn't working and then you know you called around because let's face it a lot of the companies everybody kind of talks to each other all of the um those doing business in china and you'd call your peers and you'd be like hey are you working are you down what's the deal and they'd be like oh i've been down for two days oh no we're not impacted it's really interesting because there really did not seem to be a rhyme or reason really to any of it. With that being said, though, Misha, in your mind, what are options companies have to comply with the local law? Sure. Yeah. And, and I'll start with compliance and local law and regulatory environment is always the responsibility of the end user, you know, and ultimately the organization. This is true for any region, not just China. And we publish such in our USA. So what you're going to hear now is my opinion. Generally speaking, China makes a distinction between what they call critical infrastructure and others. Critical infrastructure would be government, certain portions of finance, power grid, et cetera, right? Most companies don't fall into this critical infrastructure environment. And generally speaking, if, if companies want to comply that compliance is kind of forced on them by the great firewall. Effectively, bad content is blocked. The content that's available, you can argue that it's, it's vetted, right? Or it hasn't been explicitly forbidden. So I think as long as you don't go out of your way to go through a VPN and circumvent the legal, the clear legal guidelines, you should be okay. Most companies struggle with performance, not with compliance in, in the region as far as getting to some of the international content. With that said, again, every company is different. So I would always go and tell customers to talk to your local compliance team. Don't talk to somebody international that doesn't sit in China, that doesn't have expertise, because even the translated versions of the regulatory bodies are up to the interpreter. And a lot of, a lot of things just don't translate well. So for companies to comply, I think one thing that we always tell people is go buy the services, right? If, if China Telecom is selling you the connectivity service, that service is generally vetted and available to sell under China tel Telecom's license to provide telecom services. If you want to get to content, there's many mechanisms to check if your content is banned. Like we know for sure, parts of Facebook, parts of Google, parts of gambling and pornography and sort of propaganda sites that a lot of them are banned outright. And there's various ways to pull those lists. But basically, if your business doesn't rely on any of that, you should be okay. General business purpose like Office 365 and kind of the regular like ServiceNow, et cetera, they're all, they're all okay to, to basically consume. What Zscaler will not do is actually give you kind of a list or follow a list. So you can actually use Zscaler to help you enforce and be compliant with policy because part of compliance is actually being able to have an audit trail, but we won't give you an automatic block. Although because we sit behind the Chinese firewall as well with our data centers, we go through the same infrastructure, the same sort of environment that everybody else that uses China Telecom or China Unicom, for example, does. Hopefully that answered the question. Yeah, it answers it. And it raises another question, especially since we do go through the same infrastructure. You mentioned VPN and we know ZPA is not a VPN. 
we've become pretty adept at explaining it to our users, our prospects, our customers. But how in the world do you explain to the Chinese regulatory bodies that ZPA is not a VPN when it is encrypted tunnels? How did we manage to communicate that to them? And, and why does that give us some flexibility that we might not otherwise have? Well, ZPA is not VPN because VPN is a virtual private network environment. So effectively, you lose all control to what applications are available inside of the VPN once you're on the VPN. You And, and I mean you, like the capital U, the organization, said you can't guarantee with, with any measurable success that somebody won't stand up an unauthorized proxy server or something else that once you're on the VPN, you can leverage to, to bypass various regulatory bodies, not just in China. With ZPA, it's a little different because ZPA, it's access to specific applications and you actually get the granularity to basically say, you can only have access to application A and that's all you get. And if you're in China, you get only this application and nobody else can stand up an unauthorized application in, inside of ZPA to add users to without the consent of the organization. And again, going back to my earlier comment, compliance is always the ultimate burden is on the organization. And so again, if you have, a, you have a little more control with ZPA because it's access to applications, not access to a network where an unlimited amount of shadow IT can exist. So there's a lot of benefits to connecting users to applications rather than connecting endpoints to networks. And this seems like a nice side benefit. Correct. So Misha, tell us, when you sum this all up, and you've kind of touched on points already, but if you summed it up, what really does make Zscaler different than the other solutions that are offered in China and so forth? Well, I'm biased here. So, um, you know, <laughs> <Of> Zscaler, <course. laughs> Zscaler is the absolutely the best solution. There's no ands, ifs, or buts. You know, I think what ultimately makes Zscaler better is the completeness of the solution and the flexibility. Uh, you know, as an example, we have the public data centers that our customers can leverage. We also offer, you know, the service edges, private service edges in case customers have, for example, procured very expensive and dedicated connectivity for their, for their needs. They can then have those uh, private service edges leverage that connectivity. We've certainly gone and done the due diligence with our partners and outside counsel that understand the solution and have explained to them what we do and they buy into the fact that we're okay to operate there. So I think you get a little bit of coverage from the big names that are absolutely 100% Chinese telecom operators that support the solution to be in country. And I think that's a differentiator versus somebody going and standing something up in a cloud provider or kind of slipping it under the radar and saying, yeah, we're, we're just here because nobody knows we're here. We're, we're definitely a known entity. But yeah, overall, I think it's also the global management. Most people don't buy the solution just for China. It's, it's having the same solution, I think, is the big benefit in China and globally for your end users, being able to have the audit trail for the compliance purposes and a, and a central control plane I think is critical, not again, not just for China, but for the world, but it certainly helps a lot in China to have, if you are in a situation and everybody is at a certain point in time where regulators come and ask you what has happened here, you have a very clean way of saying, here's exactly what this user did, or here's exactly what the organization was doing at this time and show the, show the logs that you're required by law to have to you know, the relevant authorities. Makes sense. 
I know we also have a premium offering there. Can you talk a little bit about what differentiates that? Yeah, we, we do. And, you know, as we continue to invest in China, we're actually standing up additional data centers there and procuring some of this premium bandwidth for our customers. The premium offerings are basically for customers that do not have an ability for, for one reason or another to go and procure the what, what's called CN2 in terms of China Telecom or CU premium bandwidth, which is basically the gold-plated 100x price of domestic bandwidth and activity. So we have a couple of partners that we work with, and we basically procured this bandwidth on behalf of our customers. And our customers can then leverage those sites to get, you know, I wouldn't say a 100% guaranteed because nothing is 100% in China, but basically a much better experience for their international applications in China and more consistent and an SLA associated with it experience for international applications. So they can basically start leveraging those data centers for their apps. There is a additional price to pay. We're obviously passing on the costs and, and the costs sometimes seem extreme, but they are in China. You know, again, we, we always welcome our customers very open about saying how the solution is put together. And if the customer has the capability to go do it themselves, great. We're all for it. We'll give you the reference architecture and, and we're happy to do it either way. But in any case, we simplify the procurement and sort of the provisioning of this premium connectivity for our customers. So if they have an ability to split their international applications, they can leverage this premium connectivity via Zscaler. That sounds incredibly helpful. Thank you. That's awesome. So thank you so much. And Misha, I guess if there's something you want to leave our listeners with, just a thought relative to your experiences in China, what you've encountered, what would that be if you, if to give them a little piece of advice or a lasting thought? This is generally true everywhere, but especially true in China. The environment there is just consistently inconsistent and dynamic. You really need expertise and not a point in time understanding of it. So what is true today may not be true tomorrow, you know, and vice versa. So I think with China, you just have to have plan A, plan B, plan C for business continuity. You have to be able to exercise those. And I think the biggest thing I can convey to our customers is maybe don't be frustrated. Don't be angry at the weather, right? And certainly don't be angry at Zscaler because we, we attempt to exist in this weather if things change. Uh, I think you just have to be ready that it's going to be different than US or Europe or, you know, let's say Australia and that you're going to have to be ready for change. You're going to have to do slightly different in China. What, what I hear from a lot of our customers is that they bought a global service and they want it to be perfect everywhere, right? We do too, by the way, we do too. But there's a certain parts of the world where the internet is not the same, the environment is not the same, the costs are not the same. And so just having kind of a realistic expectation of what can be done, and it's really a sliding scale of how much technical debt do you, do you want to solve the China problem versus how much are you willing to financially pay. And the, le the less you're willing to pay in China, the more technical difficulties you're going to have. And this is, again, not just Zscaler. This is true for any solution that relies on any kind of international connectivity. So keep up with the times, read the news, trust your experts, and be ready for dynamic change. That's a key point. The technical staff needs to set the correct expectations with executives and the executives need to listen. Flexibility, adaptability, resilience, all these things are important everywhere, but particularly in China. 
Thank you so much for sharing these insights with us. It's been a really interesting conversation about a tough topic, and I appreciate you joining us today. It was great to be here. Take care, everybody. And thank you to everyone who's listening. We will look forward to talking with you again in the future. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find Lisa Lorenzen and Pam Kubiatowski on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.cscaler.com or on LinkedIn. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult with your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2021.